the show. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I am your host, Saida Unju, and I have a wonderful show for you today. I really hope you like it because I think it's going to be an amazing one. Okay, so what do we have planned for you today? I'm going to be talking about Fire Followers, a current exhibition at the BD Biodiversity Museum uh, and on UBC's campus and don't be fooled it is not about animals no and then we're gonna go on to Henry's review of good girls don't good girls don't want I I guess you will find out in his review (laughs) and then we have Eva's interview with Marmalade Wake and after that we're gonna go into my two reviews both of which are dance one of them is a review of go ballet and the other one is a review of two big steps collectives marissa wong and katie cassidy uh so i just i want to mention before we get into this week's content it is so amazing how much we cover. Why? Because <laughs> um, I'm going to be talking about Fire Followers, which is by like the artist who did Fire Followers is Megan Majewski. And I actually interviewed Megan Majewski previously about the East Side Culture Crawl. And in that interview, we talked about this exhibition at the time. Of course, it was coming up, but now it is available. I think the exhibition is going on until October, so you should definitely go check it out. It is free for UBC students. Um, And also, so the second review that I'm doing um, Marisa Wong and Katie Cassidy so both of those people are choreographers and I actually had an interview with Katie Cassidy too we talked about her residency here in BC and we talked about her piece that that was represented that I will be talking about at the end of today's show so it's so exciting that I get to talk to these people, I get to find out more about them, their creative process, them as artists, and then I also get to see, get to witness the art that they create. It's just, it's so amazing, it's so exciting, I'm really happy. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, please go to our previous episodes and listen to those interviews so you have a better idea. Um, anyways, okay, I think I'll start talking about fire followers a little bit more right now, and then we will go into, as I said, Henry's review after Henry's review, directly on to ads and PSAs, and then after the ads and PSAs, Eva's interview, ads and PSAs again, and then after the second set of ads and PSAs, I will pop back in, so, okay, fire followers, let me, oh, I have notes, so why don't I... I was like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to start with. But then I remembered that I took notes. So here's a, while I open my notes, here's a fun little story for you. So I went to see Fire Followers with my friend um, who is now back in Germany. And so it was like a fun little hangout before he left Vancouver, which was really nice. Also, he studied art history. So we got to talk about art and like you know, modern art and more, um, anyways, so I have my notes open, I don't need to talk anymore, (laughs) okay, so, 
as I said, it was really cool seeing the work that Megan and I talked about because, so if you don't know, Fire Followers is about wildfires. Uh, Megan was um, Megan was inspired by the wildfires that happen and she went to see those fires after they were extinguished. She collected charcoal from those fires and incorporated them into her paintings, whether it be in paint form or smeared onto the painting. So there were some textures with the charcoal or you could see the charcoal as like the black paint. One cool thing is that they actually show some stuff like um, photos that Megan has taken or um, the paint tube that she used to put the charcoal paint in, stuff like that. So it's really, really cool. Also important to mention that it is not just paintings, but this is actually a um, collaboration with uh, another artist. I think I'm I'm pretty sure her name is Sharon. I'm she has essays and it's great that these two mediums of art are integrated and used together. Also I was right. Her name is Sharon, Sharon Roberts. Um so yeah, Sharon Roberts has an essay that you can read and it is it's 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 pretty cool um what else yeah so as i said you they there were like different textures even if there weren't different textures it felt like some of the work had different levels to it i really would have loved to see the creating process of it like actually from like beginning to the end of the work and so it was really nice. There were some like abstract splashes with line work. It was more like floral work and then some splashes. There were non-floral ones too. There was a a black one that both my friend and I really loved. It was like a not really a black hole, but like I really don't know how to describe it. Describing something so visual in an audio format is really difficult. <laughs> So, what you should do is go and check it out for yourself. And it is on the right side of the museum. So, when you go in, it's on the, the right-hand side. And as I said, it's free for UBC students. And if you're not a UBC student, if you don't have a UBC card, a valid UBC card, as long as the expiration date hasn't, you know, passed you can get in for free on your UBC card. If you don't have a UBC card, it is not really expensive. Also, you don't really only see fire followers. You get access to the whole museum. And the Beauty Biodiversity Museum is just amazing. There are different artworks, not just fire followers, but there are other artworks too. And there's also a lot of taxidermied animals, which is the Biodiversity Museum is all about. <laughs> So if you're interested in those things, I definitely recommend. Yeah, it's running until October, I'm pretty sure. Let me check that again. It is running until October 17th, yes. So yeah, make sure you check it out. Also, I just want to say Megan's artwork is just amazing. I love her artwork so much. Check out like her Instagram, which is Dead Kitty, which is dead and then K-I-T-T-I-E and check out her website her shop i just i love her work so much she's such a good artist okay anyways i think um instead of talking more about megan and um you know instead of talking about how much i want to buy all of her artwork i will i will leave the 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 place the mic oh wow today i cannot speak anyways i will leave it to henry to talk about good girls don't so enjoy good afternoon ladies and gentlemen this is henry conscure giving you another movie review recently i watched a movie called girl good girls don't by filipina canadian director anna delara an award-winning short film actually in fact winning 11 awards all over the world now, this show features a star-studded cast with Everett Albora, Jane McLean, Lauren Cardinal, and John Emmett Tracy. Now, a very brief overview of this is that this, this short film is a piece, is a light-hearted comedy about Mary Lou, a girl who wants to become a pro basketball player 
in a very religious family with very strict gender rules. So the movie starts off at, with family cooking, well, her mother cooking, Mary Lou asking her brother for luck regarding her mom letting her sign up for basketball. She, Her mom needs to sign her, piece of, her, her form in order to be able to play. Now, her mother, being very religious in this movie, being, being a very religious character in this movie, refuses, saying sports will turn her into a boy. Obviously, at least on the mother's point of view, this is probably a role that, well, according to her, a, a role women aren't supposed to play. Coming from her very religious views, this makes sense with very specific gender roles. Now, however, after that, she scrunches up this paper and throws it in the trash. Uh, Mary Lou picks up the, the piece of paper and decides to throw it away. This brings us to the first dream sequence, where it, what I think is really the shining, one of the shining moments of this piece, where it lets you relive Mary Lou's imagination because it's exactly how you would imagine it when you were when you were a kid. She picks she picks up the ball and all of a sudden she's on a basketball court and there's people comment there's there's two commentators. These two commentators, witty remarks aside, make a couple great comments about the importance and the strength of Mary Lou's role in the in the game, especially focusing on that idea of women's empowerment into the movie. Now, after this, Mary Lou joins joins the table for joins the joins the family for the for a meal. There is a reference made about her older brother and her father going to go see a scary movie. Again, the, again, Mary Lou wants to join, but she is told that this movie is is too scary for girls, and and she is told to help with dishes by her by by her father. This is again an example in the movie of of very religious parents and those those religious views turning into gender roles for their children. For example, what's what's in a very important piece is when when Mary Lou Mary Lou's mother refuses to sign the. The sign-up sheet, she says that playing sports will turn her daughter into a girl, which we all know is, well, not true. Um, and another another example of this is, the, I would say this is the first example of Jesus' character coming in. It's at the end of it, at the end of the meal, everyone turns their plate uh, clockwise, except Mary Lou. Her mother looks at her and says that it's bad luck. Mary Lou responds wittily, everything's bad luck. Her mother, her mother obviously gets takes this very seriously. Whereas her yeah her mother takes this very seriously, saying that her parents and siblings could die because she didn't she didn't uh, turn her plate around. In the background, a shot of Jesus comes, and Jesus tells Mary Lou very politely to honor your mother and father. It's an example that actually Mary Lou's is Mary Lou is religious, but maybe not just as religious as her mother. Um, a good example of the mother's religious of the mother's religious views can be can be seen through the line, the number of rice is the number of years that you spend in purgatory, which is an interesting statement. The following, the, in the following scene, Mary Lou is seen as crying, but, funnily enough, the Jesus painting comes to life. Again, another element of magical realism in this short film, which, as is mentioned, really brings that idea of, at least in my opinion, that these moments of magical realism are really Mary Lou's imagination, lending her imagine ideas and find new ways to think to look at things and actually this i think when jesus's character comes into the comes into the uh film it really is the most lighthearted and in my opinion funniest parts because jesus's character is very nonchalant for example he says take states take a break let's shoot some hoops and takes the halo he had around his head and takes puts it out of the painting so mary lou can use it as a hoop and imagine imagining shooting hoops with jesus it's just that image in your head Mary Lou comes, comes to the statement and tells Jesus directly, If God really loved me, I wouldn't be a girl. He responded, God made men and women equally. Actually, throughout this conversation, Jesus' giving is very insightful as it is delivered in a very funny way. For example, he says a fact which Mary Lou doesn't believe. He responds, wittily, you can just Google it. <laughs> but insightful, insightful commentary aside, there is one thing that he says that I think is a very important statement for everyone. That people can change their minds. Mary Lou, being more of a cynic, would respond, well, it would need a miracle. Jesus responding with his, well, holy tone, yes. Which, this is an example of foreshadowing, a thing that I very liked from my experience of, well, writing, reading books and etc., just, uh, and watching movies, that foreshadowing, I like the way the foreshadowing is done. At the school, boys are playing basketball. The ball rolls to Mary Lou. She wants to play, but the boys say no, and saying essentially the exact same thing her mother told her. Do you want to become a boy? Uh, do you want to become a boy? Well, she plays anyway. Here is the second game sequence, the longer one, where two co where the two commentators return and they make a lot of funny remarks about how, oh, the Raptors really chose girl power, and of, they, of course they chose the right in the height department because they can't reach her because she's so short. And essentially, moments like this is a really lighthearted. Well, while Mary Lou is imagining this, she is actually doing those movements in the real world and absolutely destroys the boys' team. So props to Mary Lou for that. 
And after the game, Mary Lou comes to a quick realization. She runs to the bathroom. She's experiencing she's ex- she is experiencing her first period, but given that her mother told her that if she played sports, she would turn into a boy, and the timing of it all, she gets very panicked. She runs to the nurse, who the nurse very politely explains that this is her this is her first period and explains all the details that a young woman should know in, in this in this situation. However, Mary Lou seems only interest seems only interested in getting her answer. That is she, is she, will she become a boy if she plays a sport? Well, the nurse obviously says no, and Mary Lou responds. Then she uh, that to ask her mother about it. Concurrently, the mom finds in in the trash where Mary Lou tossed the form in the morning. It becomes blessed. She opens uh, Mary Lou's mother opens it and sees an image of Jesus. Now she interprets this as a sign of God that Mary Lou should play basketball, and that's a very important. That's a that's a very important moment because it's a way of playing with her mother's faith in order to, to further her own character. It almost seems like a Deus Ex Machina, but in the case that Jesus is a part of the story, it makes complete sense that there is a Deus Ex Machina. So funnily enough, by the end of the film, if you can say in the traditional way, the gender roles are reversed in the sense where Mary Lou goes to play basketball, and the older brother babysits and gets food. In the final shot, they uh, pan into the painting where Jesus winks at Marilou as a thank you. Now, overall, what did I think of the piece? Well, I found it really funny as, as well as it was insightful because it really told us about it really told us about how religious families can really unintentionally, in the idea of faith, um, control each other and say do and tell each other that we can't do things because of well things that are in in my opinion outside of our control. I found the music very lighthearted. The editing is very well done. Um, like I said, like I said, the acting I have to say is the best part of the film. All the characters were incredibly convincing. The scene, the scenes as a, where they all played as a family, it really gave me it gave me the impression that the, they had that these people have known each other for years, and the dynamic they have is very well done. Now, overall, would I rec- would I recommend would I recommend this to others? Absolutely. It is a it is a wonderful fifteen minute it is a wonderful fifteen minute watch that if you have any time you should go you should go and watch it. It'll teach you a couple things and make you laugh a couple times. Um, on that note, if you are wondering where you can find it, well, that's pretty... Well, you can find it on CBC's Gem service online right now for free. So go ahead and go watch it if you'd like. I'd really recommend it. Overall, I'd like to say thank you very much, and have a nice day. At Dunkin' Donuts, each and every... Radio show. ...is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this... Radio show. ...will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your... Radio experience. Exquisite. Indeed. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. In the context of Vancouver's opioid crisis, CITR would like to take a moment to share some harm reduction strategies. Try not to do drugs alone. When going out, let friends know what drugs you're taking and make sure someone has an unlocked kit. If you're able to, get your drugs tested before taking them. Avoid mixing opioids with alcohol or stimulants. Remember that opioids can include painkillers prescribed by a doctor, and it's possible for any drugs to be contaminated with opioids. Learn the signs of opioid overdose, which include, but are not limited to, unresponsiveness or unconsciousness, inability to speak, breathing that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, heartbeat that is slow, erratic, or has stopped completely, skin tone that has turned blue or gray, choking or gurgling sounds. If you think someone is overdosing, call 911 immediately. Start rescue breathing and administer naloxone if you have it. You cannot get in trouble for being on drugs, so always call 911 in an emergency. For more information about naloxone kits and training, visit TowardTheHeart.com. Thank you and stay safe. Hey, this is Eva Jowdy, and I am so stoked today because we're going to talk about the debut self-titled album from Marmalade Wake, which is a local surf psych rock band created by Max Meyer, and you might remember him from an interview I held with him and his other band, Switzermeyer, earlier in February of this year. The guy is super cool, I really enjoy talking to him, and he's got some serious old soul vibes. He really is just a true artist, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear the interview. But Really quickly, first of all, I'm going to give you a taste of the marmalade. This is their new single, Coconut Crackers.
Uh, welcome back to the Arts Report, Max. It's good to have you again. Hi, thanks for having me, Eva. Okay, so just a reminder, we've had you on lately, I think in February, with your other band, Switzermeyer. Um, and during that interview, you teased this little project that you're going to be coming out with soon called Marmalade Wake, which is what we are here to talk about. I love the direction of the album. You know I really enjoy it. Uh, who or what has inspired this new solo project of yours? Uh, I mean, I, I really got to bring it back all the way to... Um... There's a record store that I don't visit very often called Lotus Land, and they most, mostly do like stereo equipment and like vintage stuff. Sometimes I buy records from them, but they happen to have a Ventures record there. And I picked that up. I was like, I just walked in the store and said, hey, do you guys have any surf records? And he was like, here, have this one. And it was all beat up and kind of had some labels put on it. But I took it home and I listened to it and I was just felt so inspired and was like, OK, this is this is surf music, like instrumental kind of cinematic Surf music is something that I could probably dabble in making. So that was definitely the start. And then from there, there's lots of other artists that I could go into, but that was the main one. That's killer. Was that a part of like your growing up? Did you have a lot of that influence, surf and psychedelia? Oh, I think, well, I mean, surf music for sure always interested me. Like, I just, I love hearing uh, like everybody's heard like Wipeout or Miserlou <laughs> by Dick Dale. Those ones are great. I just picked up that record as well. But um, it really was only about two or three years ago that I got like really into classic surf rock. Um, before that was, I was always into psychedelia and all that. So mixing the two to make Marmalade Wake was uh, just eventually the move. It's Yeah, it's a great combo. Do you have a favorite surf rock and or psych rock band? Uh, probably, probably the ventures. I'd also add, uh, Dick Dale and there's this Japanese surf rock guy called Takeshi Tarochi that I really like as well. So this is mostly your project. You write, produce and play a lot of the, um, portions of it, but who is a part of Marmalade Wake? So I'm the, I'm the writer and producer for Marmalade Wake. Um, and I do 90% of the instruments on the record, but most of the drums were recorded uh, in one day with my two other friends who are drummers. I asked them, hey, do you want to drum on the record? And they said, yeah. And we just kind of set up a mic. And it literally was one microphone because that was like kind of how they recorded back in the surfing days. Oh, my God. Like surf rock days. Is they would just like try and get one microphone to sound really good. Um, so that's what we were going for. And it was really just kind of hashing it out as we went along. But my friend Gibson, who's also part of Switzermeyer, it's his drum kit. And then uh, my friend Matt, who's the drummer in my other band, Solastris, both hopped on a couple tracks on the album. And then a few other people just added vocal shouts or, you know, narration and uh, also a little bit of guitar from Craig Heinem. Mm, cool, cool. I'm liking the kind of vintage vibes. I didn't know that you recorded it trying to do it in the style of what they used to do back in the day. Um, but speaking of vintage vibes for music, you're releasing a vinyl. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and other things you're doing for the launch? Oh, well, it's it's my first time doing a vinyl release and it's been really hectic. I mean, I always said to myself that I ran a record label with all my bands that I would release or whatever. But this is the first time I'm actually releasing anything on vinyl. And there's a lot of correspondence and business and decisions and graphic art and just on top of all of the music. So that was kind of hectic, but super rewarding. Like having my music, like an album that I'm debuting on clear orange vinyl, because you got to spice it up for, you know, make it fun, make it a good debut record. Exactly. It's just been so, uh, so satisfying. That's amazing. Yeah, I love the orange. I love color records. They get me really amped up. Um, and it's fitting into the marmalade theme. Um, just speaking of, I really want to mention the fact that you're giving away um, free marmalade. It's homemade marmalade for the first 10 buyers of the vinyl. Yeah, homemade marmalade made with grandma. Oh you my know. gosh, it's <laughs> <That's> so cute. <laughs> just gotta, gotta get some Seville oranges, chop them up and make jam out of it. And, you know, I love marmalade. So that was definitely when I mean inspiration for the name for sure so fun and um another extra fun thing if you live in Vancouver and you order uh it's home it's it's right delivered by you right to their houses yeah yeah well I mean I got a bike or a truck depends how far I'm going but I'm assuming that most of the people that are gonna you know order it they'll if they're in Vancouver I can go and deliver it to them there's there's not that many records so I hopefully won't be doing it for too long it's <laughs> pretty funny are you a big vinyl collector Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got probably about 200 different oh. records. 
Do you have a favorite? Um, I know that's hard, but. A favorite record? Yeah, St. Germain uh, Tourist. Oh, okay. There's this artist named St. Germain, and he's got this great kind of like jazzy, uh, like house album or something. I don't know. It's def- sounds amazing on vinyl and always a good one to put on on Friday. Super, super cool. Yeah, I'm excited for my vinyl. I've, I'm very stoked for that. I'm going to pick it up on Friday, which is when you are actually busking this um, whole LP. Right? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be busking somewhere around uh, Kitts Beach. Not sure exactly where, but uh, Matt and I have been practicing and I'll have my guitar and a little battery powered amp and he'll have a it's like a little box that you hit kind of like a drum called a kayon. Uh, so that's filling in the percussion and then it's just Ooh. us two. Right on. Doing the instrumentals. I think unfor- live on Kids Beach. Nice. Unfortunately, when this interview goes live, that will have already passed. But do you have plans to do that again if people wanted to hit you up? Yeah. Well, I mean, with COVID and everything, I've kind of been at a loss for doing any kind of real rehearsing. For it's hard to get people motivated if there aren't shows. No, but totally. I know Matt. Matt will play outside with me if I tell him that we're going to go busking. So that's uh, that's the plan for playing shows this summer: is getting out and seeing the people that I want to play surf beat for. Fabulous. I'm really excited. Um, speaking of summer, yes, this album very much makes me feel stoked for summer. What do you think is the most optimal listening environment for the LP? Oh, definitely lying on the grass at Vanier. <laughs> uh, just enjoying the rays and maybe going down and having a little swim or something. Fabulous. I agree. Um, I was playing this whole, I was playing the two singles that are out. It's uh, Coconut Crackers and Outrigger uh, for my dad. And he was like, this sounds like something out of a Tarantino soundtrack, um, which I thought was <laughs> true. Do you buy that? Appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. I, actually, bringing that back, uh, even before that Ventures record, I guess, first exposure to surf music would have been watching Pulp Fiction, totally. probably. Yeah. Who doesn't like that soundtrack? I mean, that's got to be an influence, too. That's what my mom said. She was, she's so cute. She didn't know the name of it, but she was like, you know the one where Uma Thurman's dancing? Um, and we're like, yeah, mom, Pulp Fiction. So she she was thinking the same thing. So, But since it's an instrumental, do you see yourself kind of doing like soundtrack work in the future? Yeah, well, I, like I, I was thinking kind of for more future projects uh, for Marmalade Wake, at least, just like continuing with the instrumental and like seeing how like, I don't know, or, orchestral and like... Uh, spaghetti westerny or like soundtracky <laughs> that i can get with it while still being surf and yeah i mean i, I could see myself doing soundtrack work I, i've done music for videos before like videos my friends have been making but that's all over the map that's whatever style the mu- movie needs mm-hmm. and then so you've actually got a music video out for i forget which one but one of those two singles um which is really fun to be- outrigger yes do you direct things like that uh, yeah, that was that was storyboarded and edited by myself as well. And that was also an instance of my friends are just like, it's hard to get them motivated to like do something uh, if there's no shows to go on. But if I'm like, hey, we're going to haul all of our gear out to the beach and film it on a music video, they're they're just going to go along with it. And I'm, I'm very grateful for them being my friends for that. Yeah. Because <laughs> they'll just go along with whatever little project I've concocted in my head. Yeah, you've got a great pool of friends that kind of will join you in on these things. It's a lot of the same members mm-hmm. for all of those projects. I love. Yeah, it. it is. I know. Yeah, it's a little little circle of uh, fans that we're making here. It's great. So it is mostly your project, um, and I know you have a lot of experience in bands. What have been the challenges and benefits of this solo work? Well, one of the benefits is that I can just kind of make us like a a demo track of what I want to happen and. If I'm maybe want to save some of my creativity for other aspects of the track, I can just outsource to like the drummers to do some drumming. And they really like it because uh, when they want to go record something, it's really helpful for them to have a full track that's like ready to go full progression. And all they have to do is add drums. So they're always ready to hop on that. I find it's uh, a lot more work to do it all by myself, especially when I'm like, I, I have this idea for an instrument in the mix and I have to do it like I just gotta try and put it on there um but it's all on me and same with all the mixing and the mastering so it's a bit more work uh, not being able to you know outsource everything but it's more rewarding because it's basically just exactly how I would want it anyway I bet yeah has it taken you considerably longer to get this one done versus group collaborations or the opposite oh, oh yeah well I mean I think this was a project where I got it 
like 85% of the way there pretty early on. And then I was just like, okay, I'm going to just make a release plan that's like a generous amount of time in the future. And also, actually, I ended up finishing it sometime in like November, I think. Oh, really? Like all, all the tracks were done. But then I was like, nobody wants to listen to surf music in winter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I figured, you know, we'll just get some kind of, you know, Instagram campaign going on to advertise it for the summer. Mm-hmm. The Instagram is popping off. I'm really liking the content. Um, that'll kind of segue us into our next point because we're wrapping it up. So why don't you give me some plugs? Where can we find you on social media? Where can we find your music? All of the, all of the plugs. All right. The handle on Instagram is uh, marmalade.wake. Um, and that's basically the main one. There's also a, a Bandcamp page that you can go in. Uh, you'll be able to order vinyl on that as well. But the main page comes from uh, my website, Max Meyer Music. So if you go visit that, uh, you can see all my other bands and what they're up to. And also check up on Marmalade Wake. And that'll be updated many times this summer, hoping to do a lot more music videos. Yeah, right on. I'm very excited for what comes next. Thanks so much for being here. Hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Ah, thanks so much, Eva. Red Cat Records is an amazing artist-owned and operated record store. Shop from their diverse online music collection and get free shipping within Vancouver and the Lower Mainland with the purchase of two or more LPs. If you would like to further support them through the evolving COVID-19 crisis, you can do so by buying a gift card to use at a later date. Visit www.redcat.ca for more information. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it, and we'll give you half of your money back, as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. We'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us. Minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. I really hope you enjoyed Henry's review of Good Girls Don't and Eva's interview with Marmalade Wake. So let me say, let me tell you, anytime Eva interviews a musician, I it's it's an insta ad to my Spotify. Like she interviewed Black Pontiac. I only listened to them for like a solid two months. She interviewed Far Haven. They're still in my playlist, like my current okay, oh, my current fixations playlist. Let me talk to you about it. I tweeted about it. So I never realized this, but apparently I fixate on songs. Like if I have five or six songs that I like I'm gonna listen to them and only to them for like I would say maybe two three months not months two three weeks maximum one month and then stop listening to them um this excludes musicals because musical theater soundtracks I will listen to them all the time no matter what my current fixations are um and so I made a playlist called current fixations which has as you can tell my current fixations in it and Farhaven's whole album is in it I, let's be honest, they have really good music. Black Pontiac has really good music too. And Marmalade Wake has really good music too. Now that I've listened to that interview and the song that Eva played, you best believe Marmalade Wake is going in my current fixations playlist. If you want to know where that playlist is, check out our Twitter, which is CITR underscore Arts Report. I have tweeted the link there. So you can get access to it if you want to know my current fixations and find out about what I'm listening. If you want to listen to some more of the, like, there's, there's, as I said, there's Black Pontiac in there, there's Far Heaven, and now there's going to be a Marmalade Wake in there. Anyways, okay, after that long tangent, I'm going <laughs> to... 
I'm gonna go into my two reviews, which are both dance. So let's start with Go Ballet. Go Ballet is gonna be shorter because it was a very short performance. Um, I think it was around 25 minutes, if I am not mistaken. So this was part of the Dance Center's Discover Dance series. Um, and if you don't know, Dance Center holds Discover Dance series every year, basically so that people can discover dance. They have different um, companies, they have different types of dance, different genres. Like last year, I remember what the performance I went to that was part of Discover Dance was Ballet BC. Um, they did like a rehearsal of Sharon's Bedroom Folk, which I'm still talk about all the time with my friends not with my friends to my friends they have no idea what I'm talking about I just talk about that performance because man oh man that dance is something else um just google Sharon bedroom folk ballet bc and hopefully something will show up so that you can enjoy it too even just a trailer it's so good anyways so go ballet's performance was part of discover dance so it was a little shorter but that's okay i i actually watched it with lua um since we're both dancers it's always fun to to watch dance together and talk about it and have flashbacks to our to our dance learning days <laughs> And so there were different um, choreos. It wasn't like a single thing, um, like Bedroom Folk, for example. So they had different variations. They had um, a group dance. They had, I think, three group dances and two... No, they had three group dances and three solos, I am pretty sure. And... They were they were good. I I like them. Lua liked them too. Um, especially, I think there were two that we really liked. Let me. I don't know if I can actually find the names of the um the variations here, but I will try while I'm talking. I will look for those names. So the reason we like those, the solo that we liked is just um the choreography was great and the dancer did such a good job she was so 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 elegant and i just you know it was really good ballet is so freaking pretty and then the other one was actually a group dance and they had they had three um was it called they had three male dancers which um you know, male dancers aren't very common in dance schools, like ballet schools, because for some reason, ballet is seen as a quote-unquote female thing, which I hate for so many reasons. Uh, but you should, yeah, if, if, you're a, if you're a parent who thinks, oh, should I, like, would it be good if my son started ballet? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> it's so good. It's they they get strong. If they want to be strong, that's perfect. Um, they also like they get to do art. What more could you ask for? Art is amazing. Anyways, and then I can't. I actually can't find the names. I'm so sorry. They're not showing up. But if you actually look at the dance center's website for the tickets, there is a trailer. So the first dance that shows up in the trailer is the group dance that we were talking about. And then um, the floral one, the solo, is around the 30 second mark. So I hope that gives you some idea. Um, this one is on a 0, 10, 20 sliding scale, meaning you can give $0, $10 or $20 to watch it. It is available until June 17th noon. Um, it is. It says it's 45 minutes, but the actual dancing isn't 45 minutes. There is a talk back after the dances. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you want to watch the talk back, that's 45 minutes. If you don't want to watch the talk back and only the... The dance then it's like around 25 minutes I would say but yeah I anytime I watch 
either Ballet BC or Go Ballet. It just makes me miss ballet so much because I did it for such a long time. If you don't know, folks, I actually did ballet for 15 years. I did. I started when I was three, three and a half, and then I I graduated. I have a certificate from ballet. I can I can actually be a dance teacher. So it was yeah. It's pretty cool. As I me responding as if you said, "Oh wow, that's really cool." My internal monologue is too damn strong. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. Um but yeah, so it makes me miss ballet so much and actually like after the the show ended, um Lua and I we started just looking up variations and doing ballet in her living room it was so funny because we're both very out of shape and we haven't danced in a long time so we were there just like trying to do it also Lua isn't like trained classically like me so it was just a big old mess of a, someone who hasn't done ballet in six years and another one who was trained more in jazz trying to do ballet. <laughs> it was amazing. Anyways, so let's talk about Marisa Wong and Katie Cassidy. That was part of the Two Big Steps Collective. So Katie Cassidy, I'm gonna, I feel like I do want to talk about both. But I want to talk about Katie Cassidy's um, piece more simply because I had an interview with Katie Cassidy previously and full transparency, mostly I wanted to watch this performance to see Katie Cassidy's choreography because I was really intrigued when she talked about it on our interview. But, um, I, okay, so before we get into... Um, two yes the the piece is called two it is with like roman numerals um well let's talk about departure which was uh marisa wong's piece so uh, departure was it was something um i'm not gonna lie it wasn't my favorite because i couldn't be fully immersed in it um, I feel like I would have liked it more if I saw it in person because it was interesting. There was some really interesting choices that were made. For example, the dancer was talking at times uh, and I couldn't tell what she was saying, which was a big part of why I was so disconnected from it. So I feel like um, if I was in person and I could actually hear what she was saying, then I would have felt like I was like like I knew what was going on you know I hope that makes sense and so since I couldn't really tell what she was saying it could it took me out of it a little um the dancing itself like she was really good she was a really good dancer I, I have no words for that and the choreography was good too. It's just the thing overall. I just I wasn't sure about it. Um so throughout the whole thing, I think it was around 40 minutes. Um so two, Katie Cassidy's two was 20 minutes and Marisa Wong's departure was 40 minutes. So it was an hour in total. Um so it was 40 minutes and for like I would say most of it, like 35, 38 minutes of it, there was a pile of clothes in the the front of the stage but in the corner if you know what I mean so it didn't really interfere with the dancing but it was there you could see it so I was like you know how is that gonna come into play well it came into play at the very end when the dancer took the the clothes and put them on and I don't mean like oh she put on shorts and a t-shirt and then I don't know socks no, um, they, the all of the clothes were connected to each other. They were sewn into each other. And so it kind of like moved like a cape, if that makes sense. But then uh, she also wore them individually, like separately. So for example, at first she put on some pants and then she put on a, uh, a, a, a leotard and then a top, like a jacket type of thing. So like, um, you know, it was really interesting. 
honestly, uh, if I was a choreographer, I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> so like, good job. <laughs> but again, because I kind of was out of it, I was disconnected from the piece and I didn't know what was going on. I was confused as to why she was putting those clothes on too. <laughs> and at the end yeah she she took the clothes off but put the cape put it on like the cape on like a big blanket i don't know if any of these descriptions are making sense i hope they are um but yeah okay so my thing with departure is that uh the dancing was immaculate the dancer did a really great job the choreography, I think, was good, but the different elements in it, like the talking of the dancer, or the choice of the using of the clothes, or there were some, like, um, sounds that were used, like, level one, complete, or stuff like that. The choice of those, I think, would have been better translated in person instead of over a screen i hope that makes sense um i genuinely think i would have liked it more if i if i saw it in person at the dance center um but yeah so let's talk about two so katie cassidy's two uh there were two dancers um and both of them did really good jobs uh they were married which I, I can't I go ballet the dancers that go ballet were wearing masks too I cannot fathom how people can dance in masks I it's so difficult anyways um I really 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 like the choreography I think one of the reasons that I liked it so much is because it had more fluid uh and organic moves as to more robotic I guess does that make sense or disconnected moves um I think it comes from me having a background in ballet I enjoy connected and organic and fluid moves more and choreography that includes those type of movements and it had also another thing of my favorite and one other wow words aren't really happening today are they another thing that i really like is a canon what the hell is a canon sarah you might ask well let me explain to you when there are more than one dancers they can do the movements at the same time or there's this thing called canon where they can do the movements the same movements but at a slightly different time than each other so for example dancer one starts with movement a goes on to b and c and d dancer two starts movement a when dancer one is on movement b i don't know if that makes sense at all um it looks really nice really cool especially if there are like five dancers damn put all of those cannon put a everywhere cannon everywhere <laughs> And so I really, really liked the choice that Katie made with inserting a canon. Something that I realized was um, at some points, I think more towards the end, there were, so they were, the dancers were like apart from each other. I would say two feet apart, probably. Uh, but there was light shining on them and their shadows were reflecting to the back uh, to the wall to the screen in the back and they the dancers themselves were standing apart but the shadows were together which I really liked because this whole choreography is you know all about the two of them and before I you know completely talk nonsense let me pull up the media release so i can tell you exactly what two is all about but anyways um it also important to mention it did not feel like it did not feel like 20 minutes i was genuinely really surprised that um when it ended it did because it's just it it did not feel like 20 minutes at all it went by so fast 
and I'm, I was really excited to watch more but oh well okay so um oh here it is Katie Cassidy's, Cassidy's duet 2 focuses on the relationship between two women examining power dynamics intimacy and the strange ways we connect with and support each other so basically they were you know apart but they were together they were supporting each other they were connected it was amazing if you want to learn more about uh katie cassidy's two katie cassidy's um choreography if you want to hear about it from herself <laughs> check out our previous interview with her it was it was really cool okay uh and with that we're at the end of the show can you believe it we're done with this week i i'm hoping you enjoyed it i know i kind of rambled on at the end because apparently english is not working today i'm so sorry i really genuinely apologize but if you want to hear other days that my english uh may or may not be working check out our show on spotify apple podcasts or citr.ca we have every episode archived so you can find anything you would like that we have covered <laughs> also check out our social media on instagram we are art support citr twitter we are citr underscore art support on on facebook we are art support on CITR 101.9 FM. This has been your host, Sara Unju. Again, you listen to the Arts Report and I really hope you have a lovely rest of your day and I hope to be here with you not next week, but the week after that, June 23rd, baby. See you then. Goodbye!